Welcome to Trailblazing Entrepreneurs, a brand new podcast series from Salesforce App Exchange. In this series, we'll chat to world-class entrepreneurs and founders and explore the journey and share practical insights to build successful businesses. I'm your host, Sandra Peño, Director of the ISV Business at Salesforce. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dominic Donardo, who is the CEO and co-founder of Aforza. Aforza is a modern 21st century industry cloud vendor dedicated to the consumer goods sector. So Dom, thank you so, so much for joining us today. You are our first guest on our new podcast series, and I'm really, really excited and super grateful that you give me the chance to chat with you today. So, Andrew, let me just start by saying thank you very much for inviting me to this inaugural podcast. I'm super, super excited to do it. So you've had a very distinguished career, uh, ranging from Salesforce to Viva to Velocity. And in 2019, you started with your co-founders, Aforza. What made you decide to set up your own company, Dom? Yeah, I would love to tell you the true reason of why we started Aforza in 2019. And the honest answer is, I'm a bit slow. Should have done it years ago. And you actually said it a little bit in your introduction. I joined uh, a company uh, called, at that time, Salesforce.com in 2002. I like to think that that's where I went to the School of SaaS. I learned all about the cloud business. I had some very, very intelligent mentors um, in, that, in that journey. I was there for more than a decade. And during that time, I led the sales engineering team, um, the technical spear point, if you like, of the sales organization. But then when I went to uh, Viva, and I, I actually went to Viva really because I did 10 years in Salesforce, and I kind of thought like I just needed a little bit of a change. This was my first taste of industry cloud and something very industry specific. And, you know, I often say to people when they ask me about Viva, it was part software company, part pharmaceutical company. You could almost feel it was a life sciences company. It was so dedicated to that vertical. That was an amazing learning journey for me. And I got brought across into uh, the sister company, um, Velocity, which um, we're talking now in May. And Salesforce just acquired that company, made a decision to acquire it last month, which is fantastic. And so I spent, I guess, my, my journey is really in two halves. It was cloud and SaaS with uh, Salesforce, and then industry cloud with Viva and then Velocity. You know, somewhere in 2019, um, this little idea that had been niggling away for years, years and years and years, bubbled away saying, why don't you just do this yourself, Dominic? And I had some great friends and co-founders, Ed Butterworth and Nick Heels, both veterans of Salesforce and both veterans of Velocity, actually. We kind of got together and it didn't all happen in Overnight, there was no big spark, but we kind of like were talking about it and it, it just kind of germinated from there. It's been a long, unfulfilled ambition of me. And I guess just to conclude, I would say I kind of wish I'd done it years ago. You know how in your life, Sandra, you've often felt like I wish I knew then what I know now? When you think about, you, you talk about the difference between, you know, Salesforce being the SaaS sort of learning ground and then moving into an industry specific uh, sort of area. One of the things I'm always really fascinated about is how to understand, you know, how did they come up with the idea? And then the second question is, how did you know it was the right one, you know, and, and how did you validate it? Yeah, great. So let me um, start with a bit of a seminal experience. This is actually going to, I said it was a bit slow. You, you understand why now. I actually had uh, an experience in my Salesforce days in oh, circa 2003. Like, what is that, 17 years ago now or something, right? Like, you know, it's like a, a generation ago. Where I, um, the very early days of Salesforce, my Salesforce career, I had this really exciting opportunity with a large FMCG company called Nestle. 
in the Far East. And uh, myself and some colleagues went off to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, and we were working with Nestle on all these requirements they had in their field operations. And this is back in an era when Salesforce, you know, our customization capabilities of the platform were, you know, they're not, they were nowhere near what they are today. You know, we were a, a strong team and a v- passionate company as you still are today. But we couldn't in truth get some basic things to work back then, mainly around mobility and flexibility of how to do things like mobile ordering when you're working offline and things like this. And it made a seminal impression on me because, you know, in a career in Salesforce, which is usually littered with amazing stories of success, this was one big challenge that even with the best relationships we had with all of our colleagues in Nestle at that time, we couldn't actually in truth get it to work. And I never really saw anyone ever get it to work in 17 years since. Now, that's part of the story and part of the initiation of my idea. But the other part is why this particular model, why now? And the honest answer to that is a little bit more sophisticated because it's all about pattern matching. It's pattern matching what has been successful and what works. And if you look at the most successful partners in the Salesforce ecosystem, companies like Viva, like Velocity, what is the pattern that you see? And some of it's to do with the key people that are involved. Some of it's to do with the very specific decisions those companies made. And some of it is just kind of blindingly obvious. Industry cloud companies done well can be super, super successful. To me, the pattern was always kind of obvious. Taking the power of the Salesforce platform and coupling that with specific industry knowledge and applying it is just a, it's a pattern that's been proven to be successful over and over again. It was fascinating when you talk about pattern and when you talk about, you know, looking at a business challenge and, and looking at the issue that we're trying to solve. And, and it's often a gap either in a product functionality or often linked to sort of looking at a deep industry knowledge and figure out what's missing from a core sort of uh, platform. And are you saying that in your mind that was looking at, okay, there is a gap here, there's a process that I need to be addressed and I'm not getting it from sort of even by customizing a, a piece of software? Or would you saying it's combination of looking at your sort of industry knowledge? I think it's a great question. And actually, it's a really uh, insightful question, Sandra. Let me explain why. Because if you're starting a company, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and just comparing notes and thinking about your own ideas, I, I can tell you that when you seek investment, one of the things that would be very common is that people will look for a, a repeatable product-led growth model. They'll look for particular functions and ideas that are novel and unique that you could bring to market that are going to be valuable. And then typically they would like to see that you've tested this with some customers and you might have two or three customers that are proven it works and they're getting value. If you could do all those things, that leads to a pattern where people usually want to invest in you. And I, I agree with that and I think it's very, very important. But I also think there's other part of this, which is you've got to complement it with, to make a great company, to look at companies like Velocity and Viva, is that's all true, but it's more than that. Because if you can take the product-led growth and a couple of particular ideas. I can speak in a Forza's case, there's some very simple and obvious things to do. Like for example, offline mobile ordering in the consumer goods context is super important in traditional markets. It's quite hard to do actually in in the Salesforce ecosystem. It's actually quite hard to do outside the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, Blend in artificial intelligence stuff. There's a whole bunch of unique differentiators that we've built out that make us uh, a special proposition, but we aren't just that. Because we're that, plus we have a team of people who've done it before. Really important. Uh, one thing I would also advise is it's about the idea of the product. 
But then it's also about the team, the people. Is there a track record? Have they done this before? I've spent a lot of time with venture capitalists in the last um, few months, and they very frequently will compliment us on the team. And they will often say that they get young people, technical entrepreneurs who have product ideas, but who will not have had go-to-market experience. And that's not their fault. That's just natural. There's nothing wrong with it. But you do want to surround yourself with some people very thoughtfully and carefully about how you can blend in that knowledge and experience. Um, so you've got the product. You want a unique idea, a unique problem you're solving. You want the right people. But the thing with an industry cloud company, which is a little bit specific, you also get then a business model and a general approach because beyond being just a single product company, you're actually going to market to dedicated to a particular industry. So the scope for supplementary products and services to build on that, to build a truly great company becomes part of a pattern. So the way I, I would possibly describe it, there is the ideation phase, you know, and, and drawing upon a specific industry uh, challenges or specific sort of uh, product gap you just highlighted is, is super key. But what I often find, you know, we, um, so I spend a lot of time with, you know, prospective company looking to create a, an application and there's no shortage of idea. What I often find what's missing is the validation side of the house. How did you validate your idea? Because obviously you had a lot of, you know, expertise with Nestle and some of the others. Did you turn to someone or did you look to your network to help you validate that? I think one of the things that's really important, and people in our ecosystem, Sandra, can sometimes forget this, why was Salesforce so successful? Was it because of a unique product technical idea? Is it because it did something that wasn't done before? Um, and the answer is, it had a great technical product, even from the early days. The thing it had along going for it is a superior business model, the subscription model. And even today, uh, in 2020, if you can take a great product like a Forza, but marry it to a superior business model, it is a double benefit, right, that people don't always understand. And they forget that multi-tenancy is still, to this day, actually surprisingly unique. Um, so that's that. Now, the second bit is how do you test the market fit? How do you get out there and validate this with customers? Now, I can tell you a bit about what we did, and, and but a lot of what we did is probably akin to who we are. I... Um, Remember, um, right back, just even before we started the company, it was a couple of colleagues and friends inside the, the Salesforce ecosystem who gave me a couple of introductions. And one key introduction was done to a gentleman called Gonzalo Esposto, who's the former commercial CIO of Unilever. And he became our first advisor. And he was a pivotal person for us in that we validated many of the challenges and thoughts we had about what was going on in the market with him. Uh, we got on with him extremely well right away. We had some good bonds between myself, my co-founders him immediately. But, but what we did straight away was from him, we started basically hitting the phones. Who do we know in our extensive networks in this market, inside Salesforce and without, that we can talk to? And we must have hit lots of colleagues who were former sales engineers, who were product experts, people in the various companies, dragging up people I'd met like 10 years ago and re reigniting those relationships. But we, um, we have a slide that we actually uh, presented to prospective investors. On that slide, it had logos like Unilever, JTI. Um, it had, let's see now, we had uh, GSK. We had basically, by the time we were talking to anyone about the product, we'd already spoken to about 10 different potential customers Pretty senior levels actually getting feedback. And I'll tell you something else, Sandra, that often gets missed. A lot of people want to help. 
it's a really great human characteristic. If you've got a new idea, I've got, hey, hey, I've got a new idea. I've got bringing millions of dollars into the country to invest into it. And we're going to be building the stuff out. Do you want to see what we've got? Can we get your opinion, please? It's actually pretty rare that somebody says no. Yeah, I think so. I think he appeals to the human curious nature, isn't it? And I think you were very fortunate from the sound of it to have a very extensive network to be able to, to lean on to get that validation. Where would you say you could go to trying to get that validation if you haven't got maybe such a, an extensive network or that you could sort of lean onto? You know what? I'll tell you the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur and starting something from scratch. I'll tell you what it is. It's that blank sheet of paper and the blank wall and you're sitting there with your pen and you think what the hell am I meant to do now right well my suggestion then is write down your idea just look at it visualize it think about it call your best friend your brother your sister your mum, whatever it is talk about your idea start talking about the people you know etc around the idea and before you know it just keep writing down the names just keep writing down the names because you do know somebody to call you do and they will know somebody and you've got a network. Yeah, yeah. you've got to do you it. You do, I guess you just need to look at your network in a different way, isn't it? Through sort of a different lens and then be able to test that. So Exactly. That's a really good point, actually. Just look, in fact, actually, I think that's a great, great lesson, actually, in what you just said. Just everything you know is just the same. Just look at it a different way. You know, sometimes we, I mean, I don't know, I've been in a technology business for far too long without showing my age, although I've got gray hair to show for this. But one of the things I always find it's really good to do is to try to simplify the whole sort of idea and how to be able to explain it so easily to people. So, you know, my mother, bless her, in France, she hasn't got a clue what I do, right? She she doesn't know what I do. And actually, sometimes to be able to break it down so simplistically to someone, I think somehow helps you sort of position it quite clearly, be able to shorten and have a very succinct vision of what you're trying to do often this is actually quite an interesting and it's actually really really hard because you're having to explain some concepts to people that actually don't really know anything about it and if you can convey that message quite well i think you're onto something and especially i think that's really important when you start to talk about you know go to market and messaging and making it really accessible for people to understand what you do so that's that's my take on it i think sandra you just invented the new sandra test oh yeah if you can't explain it <laughs> if you can't explain it to sandra's mom it's probably wrong. It's probably wrong. I to say, I'll, I'll try this. What, what I would say as well is um, uh, you are uh, hitting on something that for me in my career and with, with everybody who works for me will recognize this. It's really, really important, which is if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to build a company, your communication skills to be crisp and um, concise, it's so important. So, so important when you communicate or when you say like things i think that a good trick or lesson is to try and start everything with the sentence that begins like this the purpose of this email is or the objective we are going to achieve is if you can start with this really sort of straightforward methods i think it goes a long way the other thing i think i'd say is that when you're practicing with messaging something like um with a force that we started with the concept of uh there are three attributes to the company intelligence completeness and everywhere. But we found over time that um, whilst they were resonated with people in the Salesforce world and people who were somewhat technical, it didn't really mean a lot to business people and consumer goods. So we kind of faded that away. So I think the other thing is like, you know, obviously develop your messages, but you know, if they're not working, drop it, get rid of it. And then the last thing I want to leave you on that one is just a quote, which I've always loved actually. And um, um, actually, Pierre Gassner, the CEO of Viva, gave me this. And I think he was quoting Mark Twain, which was like, um, 
I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> I've always loved that, right? You know, it takes time to write something like concisely, and and, and you know what? If it's worth saying, probably worth investing the time. Absolutely, and and funny enough, we um, I, I do quite a lot of that again when we look at helping some of those early companies to turn their ideas into an application. We have an interesting exercise where we do, which is a a value proposition slide, and and actually it's super hard, and it's having to write down in one sentence what the sort of the future app might do. And you'll be amazed, and you probably you may you may not be amazed how hard this is for people that have been leaving and bring breathing this for ages to be able to sort of succinctly write that sort of sentence and to be able to explain what you do. So I completely agree with that sort of sentiment of yours, because if you can't explain it, like you say, it's actually either too complex or it's not necessarily hitting the mainstream and you'll probably probably only have a, a kind of a niche um, application. Well, I think in your company in particular, Sandra, and I remember management meetings with where Mark Benioff would be presenting and you'd have like people who were like since left actually, but people like Kendall Collins, who was an absolute master at messaging. I mean, in Salesforce to not be able to do a good, well-messaged deck is like, I don't know, it's like career suicide or something, right? You have to be able to do this. One of the things I like when I look at sort of successful businesses you know, and the difference between a, a good business and a great business, whether it's a cloud business or any a more traditional business is, it's really apparent quickly that, you know, it, the success is often linked to the quality of the people. And you touched upon that a little bit earlier when you talk about your co-founder like Ed. And, you know, where did you find them? Did you find them? Did you know they were the right one to come on that journey with you? You know, how, what, what did you look in them to say they're going to be the right people, you know, to get on that journey? Because this is going to be a marathon and it's going to be hard and I need to be able to rely on them. There's a lot of attributes. Look for people, tenacity, perseverance, intelligence, integrity. Um, I would say like going... Back to a couple of seminal moments in my career, uh, one thing was, um, as I'm sure you're used to, is uh, I learned a lot about the importance of values in conducting business and, con and in your career and everything. I think acting and behaving in alignment with your values, good company values like trust, etc., is integral to that. And if you've created an environment like that where you are with people who are so well aligned, you build not just professional relationships, but like I did, many lifetime friendships as well. And many of my good personal friends actually are really current or former Salesforce execs I've kind of grown up with now. And uh, with regard to Ed and Nick, there's a funny story actually with, with regard to Nick. Actually, I met Nick uh, when he we acquired Informivore, oh God, back in the early 2000s, 2005 or something, um, which was uh, a small acquisition at the time. I remember... Part of this acquisition was there was this young engineer straight out of university that was being added to my headcount. The first thought that went through my head was like, why have I got to deal with this? Like, why is this guy using up my headcount? Who is he? Turned out to be, uh, you know, a lucky serendipitous moment because a uh, very influential person in the rest of my career and life, really, and he's an incredible engineer. So I, I kind of met these people through my career, and my team in Salesforce was about, I think it was about 600 strong by the time I left. That's a lot of interviews. You know, and I, you know, when you do a lot, you remember, have you seen that Malcolm Gladwell thing? Was it said you do 5,000 hours? 10,000 10, 10, hours. I love that book. Yeah. 10,000 yeah, hours or something. You're an expert. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I must have done like freaking 10 years <laughs> worth of interviews. So I've, I've developed, I developed over the time quite a good sense, I think, for picking people and picking the right team. And um, I think with a Forza, I would like to think I've done the best job yet with assembling the people and being able to sense actually the kind of people. It's really important that you that you find people who share your passions, 
have a shared sense of integrity and actually um of course the skills and the history really more than anything else it's the motivation are they these people going to get up at six in the morning for spring in the step and go and fight the good fight for the company and for the values you all hold to be true and if they're not on the mission especially in the early days it's probably not going to work because i was thinking um when uh, I was trying to think about, um, I had my very own business for like a very small amount and it was terrible and it was very small. So don't go and look it up because it's not worth it. But one of the things I was trying to remember is one of the things that strike me, which you don't learn in MBA, you don't learn anything is how you have to be very good when you start a company at juggling many things, right? You know, sales and marketing and HR, you have to be good at doing sort of, you know, tea and coffee as well, of course. But what did you do first? You know, who did you hire first? You know, was it sales? Was it marketing? And, and how important were those first hires and maybe setting the tone uh, and, and and for the future growth of a force? I told it's a great question because in our case, which is a little bit special that we came as a triumvirate and we were funded very early on, again, partly because of the pattern matching we discussed earlier, partly because of our connections and who we are. So if you were on your own or maybe there's two of you and you don't have a salesperson's name, maybe you're the technical people that built the idea, I think that um, I would probably give the following advice. I think the first thing I think I would say is there is no better salesperson for you than you. And if that's not true, perhaps work on it to be that way because salespeople, if you have to hire salespeople, it's of course an expensive exercise. And there are many examples of sales teams being hired and it not working out and getting the timing wrong. You don't want to invest in an expensive sales organization until you've discovered the repeatable model in my mind. Um, or what your, whatever your model is for growing the company. I would probably advise a lot of caution about those initial sales hires. And I would probably advise that the first things you do, you try to do yourselves. Um, but when you do do it, do baby steps, no mad rush. And I would agree with you, Dom. I think that decision around the timing of the first hires, especially around sales, I find is so important because it's almost all, it's a reflection on you because more often than not, I remember when I was selling my first stuff, you know, no one knows better than you, right? Because you've thought about the ideas, you've created the business and sometimes it's hard to let go and, and to trust someone actually also to say the right things. But it's also the importance of letting go and then maybe getting some of the specialists sort of doing it. But I completely agree with you. The timing, I would say, is probably the most critical thing. It's timing, and then I, you know, I often say um, when I think about my own job, uh, what's my job? Actually, my job is hiring and selling and delivering and learning, and then go back to square one. There are other things to do, but there isn't a lot that is more important than hiring. And actually, my old boss, uh, great guy, David Schmeier, the CEO of Velocity, he would say to me, "It always stuck in my brain, you know, like this, like what is it? The software company in particular, what is it you've got?" It's, the, it's, it's like there's a few laptops and some code, but it's really the people. This is some of the people. So there are great sales professionals out there. Some of them can be very expensive, but you want to check that the values line up with yours and you want to make sure that they could be on your mission because they could be a great salesperson. But if the, if the fit is wrong for your company or the timing is wrong, it could be, you know, you could spend a lot of money with them and it might not be their fault, but it might not work. You know, and, and, and you, it's a huge, huge judgment call in the, in the early days. Very expensive mistake or a very wise investment. It could really go two ways. What would you say, you know, motivates you and, and drives you sort of dumb every day? Quite a personal thing, actually, for me. But, um, you know, I had a bit of a personal moment. It was in uh, 2008. My uh, father passed away. 
one of the things that was really interesting about that time and that moment, it was a very, very surreal experience, was um, his funeral service was actually held in a church that he had designed. He was a civil engineer and it just hit me. Like, you know, we were there, it was like the, the church was actually extremely busy. Um, there was a lot of people there. We were doing the eulogy and things. And I was looking out, I was thinking like, he built this church. He's now passed away, very young, unfortunately died very young. But after him, there was this building that he did that people can use for their christenings or marriages or funerals or, you know, every, you know the weekly service or mass, whatever they're, they're doing. It's just like this kind of like a testament to what he did is lived on past him. And, you know, in the software world, in our world, we don't build bridges or, you know, we're not designing hospitals. It, it can be quite ephemeral. We're not solving the world's problems, it might feel. I would like to think that with a Forza, we're building a great company, something that's going to do incredible things. I want to get my customers promoted for choosing a Forza. I want my investors to feel like it was like an incredibly good decision that they made. And I want the employees to feel part of something that is that they've learned and developed and enjoyed and that they've actually been paid and remunerated really well to help them progress their lives. And I would like to think at the end of it all that, you know, when they've, um, should somebody complete their experiences with a Forza, they feel like the whole thing added to their life, it enriched their experience. And that's what drives me. I would like to do that. I would like there to be a legacy that people associate with Dominic, Nick, Ed, and Forza, that it was a good thing in their lives. And thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, that was obviously, you know, really personal. So thank you for sharing with that. And and I think, you know, I lost my dad again, you know, fairly young. And, and I think one of the things that I regret is him not seeing, you know, me as a person and me growing. And it sounds to me that there is that ability to say, you know, I've done good, right? You know, and that's the thing I love about working for Salesforce is that with Mark, there is element of, you know, doing great business, but doing business for good as well. And I think sort of final thoughts, around if you were to gonna leave top tips to some sort of entrepreneurs starting today what would you say that would be i think perseverance is definitely something we get, like, to be an entrepreneur um you have to have, have a quite a thick skin and the ability to persevere because just assume there's going to be numerous challenging setbacks but if you get past that stage one and your your product idea is bought by somebody or somebody invests in you i think the first thing you can do align your company on the vision and values. If nothing else, get that right first. And yeah, they might tweak them and change them from time to time. That's natural. But if you can set down the foundations correctly, the rest of it will naturally follow and stick to them yourself and live by them. And then the only other piece of advice I would give you is this, it's something that actually is a bit more tactical, but I think has always held me in good stead. As you're building your team, every hiring mistake I think I've made I knew when I made it, I just didn't admit it to myself. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just stick to the vision and values Just and, and be fussy about hiring people. I have a, a phrase I use inside my own company, which is like, no mediocrity. No mediocrity is allowed. And then um, one last thing I'd say is I, I, I think um, Mark once was talking about Metallica or he was talking, I forget who's the guy Mark knows, is it Lars or somebody like he's friends with? Anyway, he was talking about why do you keep doing this or something like when you go out, how do you get go out and perform to like do your concerts? And the guy said something like, you know, every time we go out, we talk about it, we prepare ourselves, 
but we go out with the absolute intention to do the best work we could possibly ever do. And I think that's another really important lesson about life, I think, which is don't get up and do it half-hearted. If it's worth doing, give it everything the best you could possibly do. Listen, Dom, thank you ever so much. I really, really enjoy chatting with you. Thank you for all of you for joining. If you have any questions or topics you want to hear more about, tweet us at, at AppExchange and I'll be back soon with some more insights and some more conversation with entrepreneurs. So make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>